0: I recently had the opportunity to go down the city and see Lyric Opera's performance of Fiddler on the Roof. If any of you get that opportunity before it leaves, I'd strongly recommend you to do it. It's a wonderful show. Probably many of us are familiar with it from the movie or seen it at other times. Um, I was invited. I didn't shell out hundreds of dollars for a ticket. Everyone's always inviting me to Cub Games up here, so Glad I could go to something I enjoyed. South sider. But if you know that play, right? If there's one theme that runs through it, it's right in the opening song. Right? Tradition. So it comes up again and again. It's not just a rousing song. It literally is the glue that holds that entire story together. And the whole point is tradition governs everything. You know when he's talking about when we get up when we go to bed how we do what we do how we work how we pray how we live interesting for ourselves today even as christians to say to what degree does our faith govern the everydayness of our lives but that's central in that play for that community and early on in the opening song he even says he's rattling off all these traditions he says and why do we do these things where do these traditions come from and he famously says i don't know i have no idea and it always gets a laugh. But the point is, that's what tradition is. It's like it's in your bones. You're just born into it. It's a worldview that comes upon you. And usually when we're very little, we start living them out, and then it just becomes part of what we do. And there's nothing wrong with traditions. My goodness, the Catholic Church is full of them. Our families are full of them. But we should also be brutally honest with ourselves. And that from time to time, those traditions can be crutches and they can be very unhelpful things. And so if you know the story of the play where that tradition begins to get in the way. So Tevya, the main character, he's got five daughters. Three of them are old enough to get married. And the tradition here is that the matchmaker would set it up. The parents would decide who the girls are going to marry. And all would be happily or unhappily ever after depending on what sort of job they did. And so these three girls are rather independent. They fall in love with other people than the matchmaker would have picked. And that sort of sets up the tension and the unfolding of the plot. How is this traditional father going to deal with his very untraditional daughters who want to marry people that he wouldn't, men that he wouldn't have originally chosen, one even outside of the Jewish faith? And how is tradition going to make room for this? Now, it's a little bit of a spoiler alert, but that's how I get my kicks. They all ultimately have happy marriages, but they're challenging marriages. And this family is challenged, and in particular, the father is challenged. And I think it's one of the most powerful things in the midst of this moving performance. As you see one man stretching almost to the breaking point between what tradition has taught him a rightly ordered life should look like for himself, for his family, and all of a sudden, the deep movements of the desire of the children that he loves as much as he loves his God, and how is all of this going to be sorted out? And what ultimately allows him to stretch is precisely the love that he has for his daughters and their love for him. It'd be ludicrous to think that he would just set tradition aside over something like how he changes how he works or how he interacts in the town. Those traditions are just fine. They keep the wheels spinning smoothly. This is something else. And what allows him to face the tradition and ultimately say, can I open my hands enough to let something new in? The only thing powerful enough to do that is the love he feels for his daughters. But I would add another thing. Another element in this play that's kind of the backdrop to the whole scene, otherwise it would just be a nice little family vignette, is that there's another pressure that's coming upon this little community. It's set, you probably know, or many of you know, in Russia, early 20th century. Ironically, perhaps, in some of the very ground that's being churned up by war in Ukraine today, in Crimea, This is where many of the Jews were put by Tsarist Russia to settle in these little enclaves. And the backstory there is that, once again, the pogroms are firing up. Once again, the Jews are being displaced, moved. And there's this tension that is breaking in on tradition. And it's just sort of there as a dark, menacing backdrop. But I'd like to suggest that that also is part of what's going on in this man's mind and heart that's maybe leading him to think, how far will our traditions carry us? How much longer can we be protected? And even that worldview is beginning to crumble because of forces that he has no control over. So what I'm getting at here is you have a tradition that is deeply ingrained in him, in his culture, from his childhood. You have a stress on that tradition that is very intimate and close because the love of the people he loves are seemingly moving beyond the set boundaries. And then you have another threat to that tradition through no control or fault of his own. It's just there. It's pushing in. And if tradition says, well, we're safe here and let them be there, sooner or later, them out there find us here. Why the story about Fiddler on the Roof? Because what you see in the gospel today is this idea of somebody who seemingly is just rotten to the core. You've got this rich man, and he's lived his whole life. He goes by the beggar, walks by him, never gives him anything. They both die, and then it's the moment of great reckoning. And as we're invited to look at and grow for this third week, You know, the way you grow in faith is through little steps. It's like an athlete training, little steps along the way, and you get stronger and you get stronger. Well, this rich guy didn't wake up and say, how can I become the most selfish person I possibly can be? It's little steps, little ways, little moments. But what I'd like to suggest is that he's suffering from a tradition as much as anyone in the play last night is. We don't choose our worst sin. Think of whatever that is for you. What's that moral fault, that thing that you most wrestle with? So I always like to say, if you're not sure what it is, ask the person next to you because they probably have a pretty good idea. And there's a reason why that's our thing, you know? And it's not like we were born into a society that said, yes, you know, you should just fall to that sin every time. But it serves a purpose. And if you want to take the sin of ignoring the needs of the poor, well, when you were a little kid, depending on where you grew up, you walked by homeless people in the street because you were little. And your parents, or whoever just pulled you along, and that person in the street probably didn't challenge you. He wasn't reaching out to a three or a four year old. He was reaching out to your parents. But eventually the moment came. The moment came that you or I was old enough to recognize there's a need here And there's something welling up inside of me. And maybe the people we were with said, yeah, stop. Let's talk. Let's see if we have anything we can share with them. Or maybe the people who were moving you along got very uncomfortable and said, no, 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 don't don't look. Let's just keep going. We can help the needy in other ways. And then a little bit on in life, there was that moment when you had your own means and no one was leading you along and you were fully independent And you had that moment of encounter and you had to decide and i had to decide what are we going to do now and we made a choice and maybe it was to stop and maybe it was to share some money maybe it was to buy some food maybe it was to have a conversation or maybe it was just to keep right on walking and again and again we make those choices and over time they become a kind of unwritten tradition that we have so we're not Totally at the mercy of the buildup of those choices over the course of our lives. We have something that Tevya didn't have. We have the grace of the Holy Spirit. We have the sacraments, but they're not magic. They're not voodoo. They don't somehow force us to do something that we wouldn't otherwise do. And so if you want to break out of those bad traditions, If you want to say, well, what would it mean for me to not just walk by the person in need, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe that means not listening to the emotional cry for help of somebody that I love very well. Maybe it means not being more responsible in my job. We all have our things. Not wanting to face an addiction that I know has got me in its grip. How do you begin to reverse that? Well, here's where we can learn a lot from Fiddler on the Roof. Almost certainly, there are voices in our lives trying to break through, voices of love. So, no, it may not be our daughters trying to marry against our wishes, but it's somebody in our life who's calling us to task, even if they're not literally saying it. And we know when we're around that person or we think about them, there's that nudge of conscience. Or maybe now we're old enough, let's go back to the example of the gospel. Maybe now we're old enough that we're leading our three year old or our four year old past the homeless person in the street. And even with that kid not saying a word, we think about how we became who we are. And there's that nudge, there's that voice. How do you think I feel? I'm with over 100 seminarians, and I'm supposedly telling them how to be a good priest. And I know exactly where I'm a lousy priest. We all have those voices and to let that be what opens us up. Because more often than just saying, I'm going to knock this sin out, I'm going to make myself better, I will never do this again, if it were that easy, we'd all be perfect. So listen to the discomfort of the voice of love. And then the last thing I would say is, we also have a version of Tsarist Russia bearing down upon us. And all I mean by that is there are forces tensions in our lives that we don't orchestrate. Maybe it's just the pressure of how am I going to put food on the table for my family? How am I going to try to be a good citizen in my community? How am I going to make a difference in my parish? And There are tensions and there are pressures there. And I wonder, am I going to stand up and say something or am I just going to sort of blend into the background? You see that in the play as well. Can we stand for what we believe in and can we even face what we say we believe in when it's not the most helpful position to take lots going on there i know that i threw at you because that's what the play threw at me and that's what the gospel throws at us but we're almost certainly going to come up short if we simply say i don't want to be like that rich man in the gospel So doggone it, I am just going to be more generous, and I'll be more generous today and tomorrow and the day after that. Well, if you had all that power, how come you ain't more generous now? And I'd say the same to myself. But we can love ourselves or let ourselves be loved out of unhelpful traditions. We just have to be open to that nudge. That's why that play, I would suggest, is so powerful. Great music no doubt about it. Great story. But when you watch it, you know there's the ring of truth. And we don't need Broadway musicals to deliver the message. It's right there with Lazarus and the rich man.